Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. It's the Beatitudes. Jesus is preaching the sermon, and it's his first sermon. Now listen, up to this point, they'd seen his birth, they'd seen his childhood, uh, they'd seen his baptism, and then all of a sudden, maybe a handful of miracles, but he really hadn't started his earthly ministry yet. And then, then he gathers his disciples around, and then all of a sudden, it was like thousands of people, and he's there on the side of the mountain. And this is like his first sermon. And if you know anything about preaching, you know this. It's your first sermon. It's like critical. I mean, it's like really important. Because it kind of lays out where you're headed and what you're going to do. And so they had to be excited to hear from his teaching and hear what Jesus was going to say. And he he preaches a sermon and teaches a thought that may have caught them all off guard. And we're walking through the Beatitudes. And Jesus begins talking about this issue of joy and where is joy is found and how do you find joy in your life and that joy isn't tied to your circumstance. Joy is not like happiness. It comes from the word or two words, happenstance. Joy is not dependent on circumstances. Joy is not dependent on the economy. It's not dependent on the government. It's not dependent on people around you. It doesn't depend on, on your, your, your job, how your boss is, how your supervisor is, how your customers are, what people are saying about you, what people aren't saying about you. That joy is this thing that is tied to him and him alone. And so when you look at the tense of this sermon, you find that, this, that this, this sermon has continual action. It has continual application. In other words, this is one sermon that he could just preach over and over and over. It's one sermon that a believers would apply in their life over and over and over. And Jesus stands up, seeing the crowds. We looked at that last week, verses 1 and 2. And then verse 3, he goes into the Beatitudes. And he uses the word blessed, but blessed is really deeper than happiness. Blessed blessed is just this joy, and this joy that is, is found in him and him alone and isn't tied to circumstances. And this week, verse 3, the beatitude that we're going to look at this week says, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven. You see, Jesus taught a couple of different ways. Jesus taught in the things that he said and then the things that he did. In other words, Jesus' talk matched his walk. I mean, I mean, people could look into his life and see him and, and see him live out his teaching. And he gathers them around and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. His first statement. Now listen, I know you guys love it, love it, love it when I talk about the Greek and the language and, and all of that other stuff. But for us to understand this beatitude, we've got to understand and actually... Jesus spoke in two different languages, Aramaic and, and, uh, and Greek. And Aramaic was a little bit more specific. And Jesus used an Aramaic term, or he spoke in Aramaic here. And he makes this statement. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now listen, just so we all understand each other, the word are, blessed are, is not in the original language. It wasn't in Aramaic. Jesus used a very, very unique term to communicate a deep principle to them. See, when the, when the translators were translating it to the ESV and the NIV and some of the other translations that were word for word, it would be poor English to state it the way Jesus stated it. So they said the word are. But the problem with the word are is this. It indicates that you can have joy in the future. It indicates that this issue of joy is in the future. It's something one day you'll get, one day you'll obtain. But Jesus wasn't using that term. Jesus was saying, congratulations to you now. You can have joy today. You can have joy in your circumstance. You can have joy in your, your situation. You can have joy when you're headed into the storm. You can have joy in the storm. And you can have joy on the other side of the storm because joy is not attained or not connected 
to your circumstances. So what the Aramaic says, what Jesus said was this. Blessed is the poor in spirit. You can have joy. You can have joy and you can have that joy today. It's yours. Because it's, it's not dependent on how well your marriage is going or how well your relationships are going or how well your situations or all that stuff around you. It's dependent on me and me alone. Just three things about this issue of joy and finding joy. Joy is found in an attitude of just personal bankruptcy. I mean, joy is just found in this attitude of just personal bankruptcy. He said that blessed is the poor in spirit. In other words, blessed or or the one that has joy is understand that spiritually he he or she is bankrupt and they are totally and completely dependent on God. It's It's this acknowledgement that spiritually, I, I cannot do this on my own. That I am empty. Now, in that verse, if you don't mind, put that verse back up there, verse 3. And he, so he goes on and he says, blessed, blessed is the poor in spirit. And he uses the word poor. Now, in their culture and in their language, there were two words that described someone that was poor. Uh, the first type of poor person that they had in their time, we might would call them, in fact, as they called them too, a professional beggar. This was a person that was totally destitute. This is a person that did not have a job, uh, could not work for whatever reason. And, and, and he, he was like this professional beggar, that that's what he did for a living, that he lived off the, the blessings of others. He lived off someone handing him money. It, I mean, he couldn't, you know, here's a story. Because I, I really want you to understand this, because I don't know that we come across many professional beggars in the U.S. I mean, I, I've come across them in missions. Uh, I've, co- I've come across them in, in vacation. And, and let me tell you a story that I'm a little bit embarrassed ba- about, but I promise you, you will hopefully never forget this story and understand what Jesus was talking about. My idea of a vacation and my wife's idea of vacation, Karen, totally different. I mean, it's like, you know, my dream vacation still is we just go to I-25, flip a coin, head was going north, south, and tails, we go south. And we, we, we just don't even know where we're headed. We know how many days off we have, how much money we have, and whatever we run out of first, days or money, uh, we come back. That's how we know vacation's over. And so uh, that's just my idea of a vacation. No schedules. You don't have to be anywhere. You just kind of decide what you're going to do on the fly and on the way. And so I just think that'd be awesome, but she's, she's not there yet. You guys pray for for her. And so, I know. And so in 97, we'd been here a couple of years and we still had our Texas Suburban because, right, all Texans have Suburbans. And so we still had our Texas Suburban. It's 1997. We decided to take a vacation. And so we kind of did a hybrid thing. I said, how about this? Let's go to California. We'll drive to California. And then we'll kind of, once we get there, we'll decide what we do. You know, and so we knew the beach would be a part of that and everything. So, so, and we stopped over at Laughlin, Nevada because we stayed in Laughlin a couple of nights. Could you stay there for 12 bucks a night and eat uh, T-bones for $1.99? So it was like T-bones for everyone. And we stayed there near the river and did some stuff there. And then we ran into another family from our church and actually a couple of families from our church. And they're like, hey, what are you guys doing? And it's spring break. And we said, hey, we're headed to, to, to California. And so we kind of joined up and we had like, between us, we had eight or nine kids and and we, we caravaned to, to California. We got to California, and the weather was like horrible. So, 
So, but no, no worries. We had no reservations. We had no, we, we didn't have to be anywhere. And so we kept going south because we were in search of good weather because that's one thing that we wanted. We wanted good weather. Well, we get all the way, you know, San Diego, and now we're running out of California. And so I don't remember who said it, but someone said, hey, let's go into Mexico. And I'm like, I've never driven in Mexico. I always wanted to. I heard it's like defensive driving, and you got to have a horn. And so I said, let's go. And so, you know what? My kind of vacation. And so we drove into Mexico, and, and uh, we went through Tijuana. So weather's still not, not good. We're headed down the coast to Ensenada. And actually, we end up staying in a place between Tijuana and Ensenada, which is Puerto Nuevo, which they claim lobster capital of the world. Don't know if that's true or not, but I know this, that we got lobster every night for six bucks. So now we went from T-Bones to lobster, and we stayed in Puerto Nuevo, just had a wonderful time. But in Ensenada, when we're leaving Ensenada, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Tijuana, it's like crazy. You know how the traffic is, right? Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you've never done a vacation like this. You're looking at me like you don't. Well, it's crazy. And so we're at this light, and here comes a professional beggar. The light's red, cars everywhere. So here comes this professional beggar. He walks off, steps off the curb, has a bucket of dirty water with a dirty rag and a dirty brush, and he wants to wash our windshield. Now, I did not want him to wash my windshields because I knew I'd have to wash it after him. And so so I'm asking him politely at this point, no, no, no. And he's like, yes, yes, yes. And so he's, he's like smearing dirty water on my windshield. And I'm like, no, no, no. And he's like, yes, yes, yes. And he's just keeping going. So he walks around the car to the driver's side. And I'm yelling at him at this point. And so he walks to the driver's side. He, he does that. And, and I'm like, Lord, please, just let the light turn green. I'll go. And so, but it didn't. And so he finished. And he wanted, to pay, he wanted to get paid for the job that I did not ask him to do. Now, listen, I would have given him money if he hadn't have done that. And so, so, uh, so I'm like, you know what? I'm telling Karen, I am not giving him any money. No, that's ridiculous. I mean, he's trying to... For, and, and so anyway, light turns green. Horns are going off everywhere. And so I think he realized I wasn't going to pay him. He jumps up on the running boards of my Suburban. He holds on to the rearview mirror like this. Now he's on the running boards, and he's holding the handle in, in his bucket, and he's, he's looking. I did all I could do. I drove on with him on the car. And so now we're going through this intersection, cars everywhere, this guy hanging, water's going in, and he's hanging off the side of my car and with, with church members following us. I mean, they're watching. Like, what is up with our pastor? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Karen's like going through her purse. She's screaming, I'll pay him, just stop, just stop. The girls are huddled up in the back seat and they're going, Daddy, you're going to kill him, you're going to kill him. I mean, I probably scarred him. And so we got through the light. We got through the light and uh, I stopped and he was more than happy to get off. He did not care if he was paid for the job or not. And so I know that doesn't reflect really well on me, but I... But I wanted you to remember this story. A professional beggar is this. A professional beggar is someone that is totally and completely destitute. They have no means of income. They don't have a job. They don't have any financial income. And they exist off the blessings, the kindness, the gifts of others. Now, there's another type of a beggar in the the New Testament in their culture. And this type of a beggar may be more common that maybe, maybe... that we would have, that maybe we can understand. This type of person uh, would be a person that was either at the poverty line or below. They had a job. They worked hard. They did everything they could to make ends meet. They were getting some maybe assistance every once in a while from someone else. 
And so those are the two types. One that was destitute, no means of income, lived off the, the generosity of another, and another one that had a job and worked hard and strived and did everything they could to keep their head above water. And so wonder what kind of word did Jesus use to describe the poor, the professional beggar that is totally and completely dependent on another. Kind of blows sometimes our religious thoughts of Christianity. Joy is found when you understand spiritually you're empty. And there's complete and total brokenness to where you understand I'm totally and completely dependent on him. The joy is found when we realize that spiritually we're, we're helpless. And, but we haven't been taught that, right? We, we, we say things and think it's in the scripture like God helps those who help themselves. That was, that was like Benjamin Franklin. That wasn't in the scriptures. God helps those who can't help themselves. And that you cease from trying to do all the religious rituals to earn your way to God and realize that you're totally and completely dependent on Him. And you're a spiritual beggar. You're if you life journal with us, Yesterday, we read Leviticus and Acts chapter 18. So glad when we got into Acts. And, and verse 5, just it just wiped me out. The writer of Acts is Luke. And Luke writes about Paul after watching Paul and looking at Paul's life. And Acts 18, verse 5, describe Paul as this. and says, Paul was occupied with the word. He was compelled. He took hold of. It means to be pressed together to where Paul was this person that took the word and pressed the word together with his life. And his life was changed. How he handled his relationships, how he handled his situations. Now listen, if you view yourself not as a professional beggar. You're trying to earn it, trying to work towards it. I'm telling you, you daily will not open up his word and read it. You just won't. Because you know what you view yourself as? I can do this. I can keep my head above water. I can figure it out. I can do enough religious stuff. I can do enough religious rituals. I mean, I can do this. And have you ever met a religious person that had joy? I haven't. I have never yet met a religious person where it was rituals and rules and regulations and all of this stuff. I have never yet met one that had true joy that was not dependent upon their circumstances or the situations or some religious things that they were doing. 
And I'm telling you, if you do not believe, do you not view yourself as being spiritually bankrupt? Totally dependent on Him. You will never come to the point to where you just open up His Word for yourself. Say, God, I need you to speak to me. I need to hear from you about this situation, about what I'm walking through. See, the problem with religion is this, is that there's a bunch of rules and regulations and rituals, and there's a system that is, is set up so that it could be, give people a false sense of accomplishment or false sense of right standing with God because they look around and not everybody else can check the boxes off as well as they can, right? And religious people will always compare themselves to, to one another. But you know what religious people do when they compare themselves to someone else? They always compare themselves to someone else that is not as doing well as them. That is spiritually inept. And, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. But a professional beggar? Man, I don't do that. Because they realize, guess what? We're all broken. Guess what? We're all spiritually bankrupt. Guess what? Every one of us needs God to speak into our life and speak into our situations and speak into our circumstances. Man, so many times, even in relationships, right? We'll try to compare ourselves to others to make, the, to make ourselves look better. You ever done that? Man, I have. I mean, there, there, there's times, I mean, I got a friend, and, and like he, he forgot his wife's birthday. And so I told my wife, I says, well, at least I'm better than him. I, I haven't forgot your birthday in all these years. I'm better than him. I'm better than Herb. I mean, Herb won't even take out the trash at his house. He won't do any, you know, sacrificial acts around his house like I will. And why, why do we do stuff? See, we always compare our strengths to someone else's weaknesses. Why? To make ourselves look better. See, religious people are like that. But Jesus said, wait a minute, this relationship with me, totally different. And he's talking to religious people. He said, you want to have joy? Not found in religion. You want to have joy? It's not found in rules and regulations. You want to have joy? It's understanding that you are spiritually destitute. And you come to me. And I will speak into your life. Listen, let me tell you something. If you do not have joy in your life, it may be. It probably is. If you are not opening up his word daily, because you're not opening up his word, then I am speaking your life. Second thing is this about this issue of joy. Joy is found in an attitude of dependence on God. See, it goes back to that word that Jesus used for the poor. There, there are two different types of poor people. It can be described in dependency. One was dependence on another. The other one was just, you know what? I'm going to work hard. I'm going to strive. I'm going to make this happen. I can do this, my, I can do this myself. And a spiritual person that understands that they're destitute and they're man, they 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 just desire a relationship with God. See, Christian spirituality is a relationship with God that overflows to relationships to others, that flows to relationships to the kingdom. Can you imagine how different we would be if we got that? If we understood that, that everything that we do is spiritual, 
the way I respond to my wife, the way I talk to my wife, the way we respond to our family, the way that we handle our careers and our professions, do you realize the confidence we would have if we really understood? God, everything I have comes from you. And because it comes from you, nobody can take, me, take it from me. Can you realize how much less stress we would carry in life if we understood we were totally and completely dependent on him? We have this dog. Well, it's Karen's dog. And I don't like it at all. And you know what? The dog doesn't like me. Now listen. I don't need any counseling after the service. I received that last service, and, and, uh, and so I don't need any counseling about how to treat a dog, okay? Uh, but I don't like this dog at all. You know what? The dog doesn't like me. And so, so here's the deal. The relationship, Molly is the name of the dog. The dog's bitten me. It's barked at me. I mean, I'm like, here I am paying for the house and the food that's going in to you right now. And like, you know, anyway, I won't try to process out my feelings. I'm sorry. So anyway. So the, do- the relationship that Molly has with my wife, totally different than the relationship that Molly has with me. I mean, Molly, um, if I have something that Molly needs or wants, she's my best friend. I mean, she will sit at my feet until the food runs out. And then as soon as the food runs out, she like disappears. I never see her again. I mean, she goes to another part of the house. She will have nothing to do with me. There's only been a couple of th- times when Karen was away and the dog got scared and she came and sat by me. And, but then as soon as she was, the, the, the thunder was done or the, 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 she wasn't scared anymore, then she left. And so the fact is, if Karen's not home, I don't even know Molly's in the house. I can't find her. She hides she, all this, this other stuff. And so she's just... I called her stupid in the last service and got in trouble, but she is. And so, and so it's just not a good thing. I mean, I've been bitten by Molly because I tried to kiss my wife. That's like crazy. And so, so anyway, so now Molly's relationship with Karen, totally different. Wherever Karen is, Molly has to be. I mean, Karen doesn't even have to have anything that she needs. Molly doesn't even have to be hungry. Um, Molly doesn't have to need anything. If Karen goes into the room and a, a door swings shut accidentally, then Molly flips out because she has to be near Karen. And that dog will sit wherever Karen is for hours. And you know what? I had a talk with Molly last night. Karen was, Karen was at work, and it was just me and her, and I came in with, you know, something to eat, and Molly's sitting there, and, you know, and I just looked at her. I said, Molly, I'm not giving you nothing because I feel used. <laughs> I mean, you're playing me, and I just, I just feel used because once you run out of, you know, once you run out of this or I run out of this because it's going to happen, then you're just going to dump me. You're going to go upstairs, and I'll never hear from you again <laughs> until I bring food back in the house. See, a professional beggar, the totally destitute, just wanted to be in God's presence. 
It didn't matter if he had anything that they need or didn't need at that point. It didn't matter if they were in a storm or not. It didn't matter if they were in, in difficult circumstances. It didn't matter. I wonder what sometimes, because I've done that. Maybe I'm the only one, but I've done that. Try I've gone through a crisis and pulled really close to God. And he fed me and he took care of me. And then I got through the storm and I got through the problem. And I said, I'll come back when I need something or I'm hungry again. But joy, joy is never found in a relationship like that. Joy is found when you realize, I just need to be near you. I just need your presence. Whether it's a difficult time or a or a bad time. And see, that verse goes on and it says, Blessed is the poor in spirit. Now watch this, another present tense. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is up with that? What is what is up with the kingdom of heaven? Just real quickly, you know what the kingdom of heaven is? It's where God's rule is. That joy is found when we realize that we're spiritual beggars. And the area that we allow God to rule in our life, there's joy. Regardless if it's our finances, regardless if it's our ministry, regardless if our relationships. See, in Jesus' day, there were, there were a lot of admirers. There were a lot of people around Jesus as long as the miracles kept happening. As long as he kept healing the blind and feeding 5,000. and I mean, there were a lot of admirers. But it got pretty thin when Jesus explained what a follower was and what a follower looked like. That's why Scripture says that there are some times that Jesus taught and the crowds and the admirers walked away. See, there's a lot of us that we, we don't mind following Christ as long as we define the terms. As long as we're the ones that get to define out what is a follower of Christ and what is a disciple of Christ and, and what does that mean. But Jesus said that joy is found in the one that understands spiritually they are desperate for him. Joy is found in the one, so let's just go deeper. Let me help you with this. Joy is found in the one, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. When you understand that your identity and your value comes from him and not what other people say about you. We live in a world that's so negative, right? Right? I mean, we got so many commentators running around that have a running commentary on your life, things you should do, things you should do better, how you... That's why I don't like the news, or the, the weather. I don't listen to the weather. Fact is, when it snows, it surprises me because I don't watch the weather. You know why? Because it's negative. You know, they say, tomorrow we have a... We, why don't they ever say that tomorrow we have 10% of chance of sunshine? I mean, why is it always negative? Why is it, you know what? We got a 10% chance of rain. We got a 10% chance of a storm. 
And a lot of people will approach life like that and say, I got a 10% chance of failure. I got a 10% chance of blowing it again. I got a 10% chance of going, or, or just messing it all up. See, your value, joy is found when you understand that who you are is who God says you are and not everybody else. Some of us have had some negative stuff spoke into our life. And we can't get rid of it. And we think that's who we are. That is not who you are. I've read his word. I've read his scripture. God has never called anyone fat. God has never called anyone ugly. God has never called anyone a failure. God has never called anyone worthless. God has never called anyone a bad mom, a bad dad, a bad friend, a bad parent, a bad worker. God has never said anyone's worthless. God has never said you're just not even worth the time because you're just going to mess it up. You're just going to blow it. See, joy is found when you understand who you are is who Christ says you are. It's who God says you are. And there's so many people Do you believe that who you are is something that someone spoke into your life. And they may not have even meant it. That you understand who you are in Christ and, and what that means. What I find when I read Scripture, Jesus believed in people that nobody else did. Jesus believed in prostitutes that they wouldn't even invite to the party. Jesus believed in people that society had kicked to the curbs. You want to find joy? I'm telling you. It's not in who everybody else says you are. It is in who he and he alone says you are. And that's why it's so important to just open up his word and allow his word just to speak to you. See, spiritual beggars do that. Those that are just barely keeping their head above water, I'll work for it, I'll earn it, I'll get to the place. None of us can discern it. The last thing of, uh, about this is, is that joy is found when, when, uh, when we're willing to file for personal bankruptcy. There's three different types of bankruptcy uh, legally in our, in our country. Uh, one deals with corporations, the other two are personal. There's Chapter 7, and Chapter 7 allows uh, a person to just totally liquidate, sell all of their assets, uh, totally liquidate, clear the books, and that's Chapter 7. Chapter 13 is to where you, you, you reorganize. And you reorganize, and there's some protection in there so that you can kind of get on your feet again. And, and, but spiritually, that we need to come to the point where we're willing to just declare spiritual bankruptcy. And so just like the laws of our state, the first one is this, is you have to admit a need. Do you realize this is a process of, of, of financial bankruptcy, spiritual bankruptcy? They, they kind of uh, uh, run together. Um, so you admit a need. In other words, you have to come to the place and you have to admit and say, Lord, man, I admit. I don't have joy. I admit a need for you. I, I admit that I have to come to the place in my life just to, man, I need you. And the second step is this, is that you've got to submit a petition. 
I mean, you have to submit a petition with the state. In some respects, you need to submit a a petition with him to where you acknowledge, you look at your assets, you look at your life, you look at your situation, you look at whether you have joy or not, you look at the areas of your life where you need him to rule, you look at your view of yourself and all of that other stuff. Listen, you know why people struggle with self-esteem? This is just for free. You know why people struggle with self-esteem? Because you believe what someone else has said about you instead of him. Whenever you struggle with self-esteem, the truth is this. The truth is, is you have bought a lie over the truth. And you have believed what someone else has said about you, and he has not said that about you. And so you come to the place, and you, you acknowledge, you admit a need, and then you, then you submit a petition, and you come to the place to where you say that, Lord, I need you, and this is where I need you in my, my life. And then you, you itemize your, your condition, and you walk through your life. And so let me ask you a question. Do you have joy in your life? Do you have joy in your life? And do you desire this joy that's not tied to anything else? It's understanding that you're spiritually and destitute before him. You desperately need him. And the next thing you have to do to file bankruptcy, crazy to me, you've got to pay a fee. Now, that's just crazy to me if someone doesn't have any money, and now you're asking them to pay money to get... That's crazy. Because in my research, I learned that, you know, there are some people in our country that would love to be able to file bankruptcy, and they can't afford to. They can't afford the filing fee. Do you realize this? To declare spiritual bankruptcy, the filing fee is so high we can't afford it. Jesus said there is nothing you can do. The price is too high. You cannot live a life perfect enough. You cannot live a life good enough. You cannot strive. You cannot work your way to heaven. It is not based upon works. It's on grace. And guess what? I'll pay the filing fee for you. And he went to the cross, and he who knew no sin became sin for us. He said, if you'll accept it, I'll pay it. This morning, a couple of decisions that you may need to make this morning. One is, some of you need to file for Chapter 7, Spiritual Bankruptcy. And you need to come to the place to where you liquidate. And you accept him for the very first time in your life. And you ask him to come into your life to forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life and just start out on this journey. We all had to start at this point. We all had to start here to have a relationship with him. Some of you may have done that. fact is, maybe the majority of us have done that. And what you may need to do is file chapter 13 to where you look at your assets, you look at your condition, and you say, Lord, I'm going to reorganize some of my priorities here. Now, I'm going to make a priority of your presence. I'm going to make a priority of, 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 your, of your word. And I'm going to open up your word, and I'm just going to allow it to, to speak to me. I, I don't know what your decision is, but, but I know this. Every one of us needs to make a decision. Every one of us has a next step to make. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me ask you this morning, what is God asking you to do? Not, not, what, not what Pastor Charlie is asking you to do, but what is God asking you to do? How, how do you need to respond to this message? How do you need to respond to his word? Do you have joy in your life? Would you like joy? Do you need to file for chapter 7, chapter 13? That's totally up to you. This time, it's between you and the Lord. It's between you and him. Because I'm telling you, I'm looking at our world, and I'm learning that our world knows less and less what joy even looks like. 
Maybe you just need to sit before him and hear him speak over your life of who you are in Christ. In just a few minutes, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to stand. And we want the opportunity just to pray for you. Uh, In fact, we want to pray for you in any area of your life, regardless of what you're walking through, regardless of what you're going through, whether it's... uh, a difficult time in your life, whether it's a time of celebration in your life and whether you need wisdom and discernment for a decision, whether you've got a medical issue in your life, a physical issue in your life, a financial issue in your life. Maybe you're just struggling with this issue of joy. Maybe you just need to hear someone pray over you about this. You know what? We, every, we consider it a privilege and an honor to have an opportunity to pray over you. So after I pray and we stand, and I'm just going to invite you, if you need prayer, that you would just step out, just make your way down to the front. Our leaders will be walking with you. Some will be here. And listen, let me tell you something. You don't have, a, you don't have to be a member at Fellowship the Rockies to get us to pray for you. We just want to pray for you. We want to minister to you. And guess what? You coming down to the front won't make you a member either. We just want to have the opportunity just to pray for you. The Bible says that we should bear one another's burdens as if they were our own.